I have I set up a I have like a series of steps that I set up like if I'm if I'm feeling like nothing is happening and I'm not getting my task done I have like I have my own troubleshooting document I have things that like I I do that I go down I'm like well do this do this do this do this do this and I think that whatever someone is doing if it's creative or anything if you're sort of in a rut start identifying ways to dig yourself out and write them down and have like a have a list like an uh, an emergency list Welcome to the Mindful and Dream podcast, where we help you to not decide what's really important while chasing your dreams. Today's guest is the insatiable Sean Kernan. He's an online writer with hundreds of millions of views across thousands of articles on both Quora and Medium. He's personally one of my favorite writers because he's so creative and brings in humor to his work too. He used to work in finance for many years and he was just writing on the side for fun, but he just kept blowing up, he just kept going viral, and eventually he decided, I can do it, and he took it full time. I'm excited to share his story with you today. I hope you enjoy listening. Hi Sean, it's great to have you. I know you don't do many interviews, so I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no problem, man. Happy to be here. So you've got a massive Indian audience as Quora, so I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to me find this very exciting. Yeah, I, I do. When I joined Quora, it's funny because I did. I sort of started writing there on a whim, and I I had a viral article, and all I started getting all I started getting all these comments, and everyone's last name was like Gupta Sharma, and I was like, huh. And I'd never interacted. I've, I, there's hardly any Indian people here in Florida, and suddenly I had this viral article on this site, and. And I was seeing all these really long South Indian names, like, you know, they're, I mean, the longest names you've ever seen in your life. They're, they're 25 letters long. You know, the randomness of the internet, I ended up getting a huge following from India. Well, one thing I really like about what you do is that you bring in a bit of comedy into your answers and you put a different twist onto what a lot of people say. And you've done so many answers like this, but one thing I want to know is, like, what's some common advice you disagree with? Problem is on Quora, because it's a question and answer, one of the complaints about the platform is that people just regurgitate dictionary answers. It's almost like they copy and paste them. And I think that with any type of writing, you need to put an element of yourself in it because it doesn't just make it more engaging, but it also, it makes it more authentic and it makes it sound like you've put some thought into it. And I just make jokes in general. So that's why I do. I, I actually used to get in a little bit of trouble because I have a much dirtier sense of humor than I represent online these days. Like I curse a lot and I'm very vulgar and, and I had to tone it down a little bit because it would like piss people off and kind of limits the reach of your jokes. I think one of the common advice is it, it's about confidence and, and not doubting yourself. And I think that there's a healthy level of, of that that does apply. But I think that doubt is a very powerful tool. And it's something that I use quite a bit. I mean, every day, probably to a fault writing and and sort of inspecting my articles and questioning myself. And I I routinely get into arguments with myself over like one sentence in an article. I mean, like neurotically going, this doesn't work. And I switch it this way and then switch it back and I switch it back and I switch it back and I get caught in this loop. You know, I'm, I'm under no illusions that what I'm doing now will work indefinitely. It's very possible that I, you know, it'll just become defunct and dated and I need to keep revising it. So, yeah, uh, I think doubt is get this basically this mindset from swimming because I was a swimmer in college and there's never a point where and this applies to most sports where you are a finished product. You're always looking for ways to make it better and swim faster and be more streamlined in the water. Um and really, that's just kind of the, the constructive, critical mindset that you apply to things you do. I mean, I think that 
you look at Caleb Dressel, he just won five gold medals and I've been following him for years. And he, you know, when he even wins a race and smashes a world record, when they interview him, he always lists everything he did wrong in the race. So finding ways, and I think there's a line between being, you know, being critical of yourself in a healthy way and just beating yourself up. And you got to be mindful of when you've crossed that line and reel yourself back in. So I think one thing that's interesting about that is when people say you never doubt yourself, then we're all human and we do doubt ourselves. So it becomes almost this cycle of shame of, oh, no, I shouldn't be doubting myself, so I'm doing something wrong, which then puts you into a negative spiral because you start feeling bad about doubting yourself, which makes you more anxious, which makes you doubt yourself even more. If you can have some level of acceptance that it's okay to doubt yourself, like, even if so, you've got, what, billions of views online and you still doubt yourself writing, like, Caleb Dressel has got, like, Olympic gold medals and he still doubts himself when he swims. That's okay, then. You can be successful and have a little bit of doubt. You don't need to stand it out. Yes. And it is a fine line to walk, though. I mean, it's so easy to, to like, to get too hard on yourself. And, and this is, like, what, you know, the psychologist's offices are full of people, full of patients because of harsh self-talk. And so it's super easy to, to get in that trap. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a thing I navigate, too. I try not to... You know, I, I read, you know, I still, I read articles all the time and I'm like, ah, oh, I can't even like reread this article I wrote. It's terrible. It's weird too. It makes me think about, cause like a lot of the most famous artists and stuff, and I'm not comparing myself to these, like these people, but they had mental illness and it makes you wonder, is that maybe the, the, the their secret is they, they just thought they were terrible and blah, blah, blah. And that's why they got so good. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what the right answer is in terms of the right balance between you know, self-confidence and self-critique. But I know that the answer is not to go into life thinking everything's perfect and you're doing everything perfectly right. I th- but I think, you know, maybe it's just a matter of being content with making mistakes and knowing that that's going to happen and accepting that. So, yeah, I think there was a quote I saw by somebody earlier in the week, which is about how like entrepreneurship and anxiety like, linked and it's very hard to break them apart because if you're going to be trying to do something by yourself or you're going to try and do your own thing, even if it's entrepreneurship, if it's to do with the arts or whatever it is, you're putting yourself out and that makes you vulnerable. And if you're doing something where you're completely, you don't have any worries at all, you're probably not going to be thinking about your audience or the people you're serving. So you need to have some sort of self-doubt just so you're paying attention to what other people think. Absolutely. And I think that there's... There's a necessity of like attention. Like there's got to be attention somewhere inside of you because that's really where things happen. When I was a financial analyst, I remember I would do these reports all the time. And I remember having these financial reports. And these are the reports that are printed and sent to all the executives that list the earnings and everything. And I would sit there and I'd be the last one in the office and I would just be terrified that there would be a typo or some number wrong. And I would proof it just over and over and over. And there was no mistakes the last 10 times that, you know, that's just the hard thing about it. You have to, you, there's got to be something that forges you and there's got to be that anxiety that entrepreneurs feel that doesn't really go away. I mean, you know, writing when I first started going on my own and being a writer and a ghostwriter and all these things, it was extremely fun because I could wake up whenever I wanted I could jump in my car and go to the grocery store. You know, there's no one to check in with. I didn't have to put a PTO request in. But 
then it sort of dawned on me that, you know, this train only moves if I, if I keep it moving and I've got to, I've got to find the ideas and the clients. I would still choose this any day over being in an office, but it really is, you know, there's no running from that tension. And and I think that's in competition too, in sports. I mean, you really, there's, it's gotta be there or you're not going to be your best self. I mean, look at like, like rappers, like if you look at music and rap, like Eminem got famous from doing rap battles. He got good at rapping from competing and like, so whatever, there's always got to be an edge, like in whatever you're doing, you got to find it. And I don't know, I've learned to enjoy it on some level. It's kind of fun to just figure out and really channel that energy into something. So yeah, yeah, completely. even from like my karate days, it's where a lot of the time, for example, some of the people I was fighting, I knew that they were going to win. Like I knew I didn't really have a chance, but the fun bit was trying. So even though I knew I was probably going to fail, but it's like, let's say I can get a few points. And that was my challenge. And you can find different ways, even if you're not at the very top of your game. If, you're, if you start running, for example, you don't need to try and beat the world record. It's like, well, let me see if you can get faster than 30 minutes for a 5K and then 25 minutes. And you can go from there. And it's kind of setting your own standard. Absolutely. And like, that's a good segue. Because when I was swimming, it was very common that I would be, I would be the fastest guy on my team. But the best times I did as a swimmer where I went on the last team I was on where I was not the fastest swimmer. I went significantly faster and it sucks not being the fastest guy and getting the ego boost of like getting all the social currency with that. But when I was on a team with faster swimmers, I got better times. I'd rather have the better times than be the dude. Yeah. I mean, that's a good, you know, it was definitely a good lesson for me. And, and it's swimming is like a, I, I, it always comes back to that for me because it was my life and it applies to like every career. Like you're kind of in your own lane. It's the world is competitive but really you're kind of in your own lane. You're just trying to be the best that you can possibly be. And you can't change what happens in those other lanes. So. Yeah. And that, so you did swim when you were at university, right? And you were trying to balance swimming with whatever you're also doing in life. Did you find that quite difficult? And how did you manage that? Because I know that people struggle to keep hobbies on the side. Yeah. So I started swimming. I was at George Washington University. And, um, you know, it's just really crazy training. And you're waking up at 6am and you're coming back in the afternoon. And I was, you know, I was just a drunken idiot. I was chasing girls and I wasn't doing much homework at that point. But I just wasn't sleeping. That was the main thing. And my body started to break down. And I just I couldn't even get through the day. It was sort of an early lesson on the importance of getting sleep and like managing the basic things right. And it took me a few years. It took a few years for that lesson to like set in. But to the, today, I mean, like, there's nothing I love getting a good night of sleep, like eating a good meal, because I know that if I eat terrible stuff, and I don't sleep, I'm just not going to be a functional human being. And I think that one of the things that people like, really need to like, hang on to is that I think there's deal breakers when it comes to being happy, like there's deal breaker habits, because the, the human body is really we're just a, like, millions of chemical reactions happening at once. And if you like, if you compromise and you, you drink alcohol all the time, or you smoke cigarettes, or you sleep, you know, sleep deprivation, you're toying with that chemistry, and you're you're going to be miserable. Like, there's just no way around that. You're, or you're going to stack the odds against yourself at least. So, I think with the balance side of it, that's the biggest lesson I learned from all that is, and that I try to do today is, I try to go to bed at roughly the same time, wake up at a decent hour, try not to just you know trash my body because I just feel better in general. One of the things that used to happen to me a lot, especially when I was training heavily for karate, is the amount of naps I would have. So I would be training 20 to 25 hours a week at my peak. And it would be on Sundays, it would be a morning session. Then I'd come home, sleep for a few hours, then have an evening session. 
And that was the kind of way I was able to cope is by having all of this additional sleep. Especially when you're younger, it's very hard to try to go to sleep early, I found. I had these naps so that I could then stay up later. Because yeah. that's when all the action was happening, I guess. That's when people were awake, that's when people were most social. So I kind of had this almost weird routine where I'd come home from work, or have training, sleep a little bit, then wake up again, be active on social media or whatever. And it was just, it was a very bad way to do it in hindsight. But I think it was my body basically forcing me to say, like, you need to sleep. And it is fine to sleep in the weirdest positions where if you can make a better routine where it's consistent, that's always more ideal than you sleeping because your body's shutting down, which is what I think was happening to me. Yeah, I did the exact same. It's You're giving me deja vu because I did the exact same thing in college. Like I would come home and I'd be like, I have a class at 10. It's now 930 I have time to like fall asleep for like 27 minutes. And then I would like, you know, be late to class and just be exhausted. And it's, I think the other thing too, that I'm trying to like monitor is I find that anytime I'm kind of in a bad mood or even my girlfriend and I are both kind of in bad moods, it's usually because we're just tired. We need to like slow down a little bit and like kind of not even necessarily take a nap, but just chill for a bit, you know, lay in your back, do something that's sort of low bandwidth, like watch TV, read a book, slow it down. Especially when you travel too, because when you travel, the trap is that you'll run yourself into the ground and you'll do too much. Balancing that is, is definitely very, very important. So There's a book I read by, so it's a famous podcast from the UK called Dr. Ryan Chatterjee. What he does, he separates out relaxing from sleeping. Because a lot of people put them together and they're not the same. Like just because you're sleeping, it doesn't, it's not the same as relaxing. You need to have time to relax as well where you're awake but you're doing things that are not stressful. So whether you're reading or you're just having your coffee slowly and looking at the wind, whatever it is, don't think, oh, I can wake up and get straight into my day and just be busy all the time until I sleep again. And, oh, I slept, so I'm, I rested. You've got to have breaks in the day too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I used to put on, a, I would lay on the TV, I would lay on the couch, and I would put on either like soccer or golf or football in your country. And, and I would be kind of like half asleep, but like when something interesting was happening, like the, the announcer would always get kind of loud and I would kind of half wake up and see what was going on and then kind of kind of drift back. And like, it was kind of like an, a nice idle activity to just kind of like recharge a little bit without, because you don't want to, I don't like the hangover I get from like taking a nap in the middle of the day. I, I don't know. For some people now, there's this really big push to only watch productive stuff, or only listen to productive things. And I, I watch a lot of soccer, I watch a lot of other things as well. And sometimes you just need something mindless where it doesn't matter, but it just gives your brain a chance to recharge. And we shouldn't cut that from our lives just to impress people that we watch a million documentaries or whatever it is we want to say we do. Like that time is valuable too. Oh yeah, those national like those national geographics where the lions are chasing the zebras and I'll just sit there and kinda of drone and like they're fighting for their life on TV and I'm taking a nap while I watch it and um that's you know though like last night for example i had set aside like four hours to do writing and i didn't get much writing done last night and it wasn't even that i was distracted it's just that it wasn't happening and this happens a lot where i'll sit and it's my job to just come up with stuff and, and you know soup the nuts get it done there's nights like this where i, I have four hours and i didn't get jack diddly squat done I, I got a bunch of chicken scratch sentences done um it's very frustrating but you know i think that it's stepping away is the important thing and accepting that, you know, sometimes your brain's just sort of not working because like for every day you have like that, um, you have a day where you come in and like an article writes itself basically, um, in like an hour. And 
um, you know, I honestly last night, I probably should have just stepped away and done something else. Um, cause I think I was just tired and I was sitting in my keyboard with my eyes half closed and trying to force it. So yeah, man, it's this mindfulness thing. I need to get more dialed in on it. So yeah, I think whenever I try to force myself to write, like you say, sometimes what happens is I plan to do something in the evening and then like a friend will call up and then I'll be like, okay, I'm going to meet you instead. And then sometimes I try to write and they get back. And it's just a waste of time, but I'm not in the right mood. I'm tired. It's better for me to just go to sleep and try in the morning. Whereas because I attempt to write when I'm not in the mood, that like just waste. Like, I don't get the rest I need, and I don't get anything done either. So it's just it's the worst of both worlds. What you can do too is I um if I'm not if I'm just feeling off and um I'm not it's just not working. I'll go. For, I'll put in my headphones and I'll listen to a podcast and just go for a walk. I mean that can kind of get my mind and my wheels turning and um, it just engages a different part of your brain. Like that's got a little more gas to it, I think. So um, yeah, I mean, that's an option too. And uh, I have, I set up a, I have like a series of steps that I set up. Like if I'm, if I'm feeling like nothing is happening and I'm not getting my task done, I have like, I have my own troubleshooting document. I have things that like I, I do that I go down. I'm like, well, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And I think that whatever someone is doing, if it's creative or anything, if you're sort of in a rut, start identifying ways to dig yourself out and write them down and have like a, have a list, like an, uh, an emergency list. I don't know. It gives you a sense of control and it does help you, you know, fix things. So yeah, let me see. Um, uh, just go read. Um, sometimes I'll go read just random lists of fat, like random facts articles. I will go look at ads like commercials and stuff like kind of clever commercials. I will listen to a podcast. I'll brainstorm like shower thoughts about things. So it's just shaking things up is kind of the theme to it. I'll ask myself the question, what is this in all caps really about? If I have an article and it's kind of all over the place, asking yourself what it's really about. I also do that when I'm trying to think of the title. Those are a lot of them. Hi everyone, I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I want to take a quick break to ask you to check in on yourself. There's many people struggling with balance and there's nothing to be ashamed about. The tips that my guests and I share can hopefully help you along the way, but if you already feel overwhelmed or burnt out, it's probably best that you ask somebody for help too. For some, this might be a friend or family member, but others might feel like they have nobody they can talk to. If you're one of these people, check out the link in the show notes. It's for United for Global Mental Health. They've got help plans all across the world with people willing to listen on the other side. It's important to let somebody know how you're feeling. Now, back to the show. So you recently moved, right? I remember seeing a new Instagram and you got like, you had your builds out like that. How have you found that move? Has it helped you or hindered you in terms of your balance and your lifestyle? Yeah, it's so the move basically is like changed everything. It's I have like it's my dream house. I'm, I love the place. I lived in the previous house for 13 years, and so I have a townhouse now, and it's three stories. I'm on the top floor here. I love it and all, but I have like two long flights of stairs because I have high ceilings. But I also have I have an elevator, but. I'm too impatient to wait for the elevator. So I'm flying up and down these stairs and like my legs are just destroyed. I'm losing weight, which is nice, but. You've got an elevator in your house. Yeah, I've got an elevator. Uh, yeah. It's it's nice. But at the same time, I'm like, I wait. It takes it only takes like three 1,000 for the door to close, but I'm too impatient for that. So I fly up the stairs and then later I'm like sweating by the time I get to the third floor. Yeah, I mean, so being more patient with it and just upending my routine, man, like because. 
like when I'm used to everything being in a certain place and like getting a new system down, most people roll out of bed. Like they, they sit at the same spot for breakfast or wherever, where they turn on the TV, they have like the same thing for breakfast every morning. And then they brush their teeth da, 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 and um, just jumbling all that and resetting is taking some getting used to. I mean, it's a good problem to have. I lived in this shanty house that was only, it was 1100 square feet. And essentially I lived way below my means for like a decade. I mean, I was saving money, investing money and, but the house was like about to collapse on my head. So, but I lived in this really nice neighborhood. Like if you drove through this neighborhood, you'd see these like giant mansions and then you would see like this tiny like hut sandwiched between two giant mansions. It, it's like laughable. And, um, and so finally, like I'd had a lot of people knocking on my door to buy the house. And finally, this guy behind me who, you know, really wealthy, he owned like a 70 foot boat. And I, I said I was finally ready to sell and sold it and he gave me a cash off. So do you feel like it was worth it? Like living below your means that long to get the house you're in now? Yeah, it was because I actually, so I'd invested a lot of money in Apple and in the past two years, Apple has like tripled in value. And so it really positioned me to get a better house. So I ended up selling it at like a, less than a quarter of what I sold it for, for the Apple stock. So it was very opportune. Do you think you're now at the point where this is your successful lifestyle? This is like your ideal lifestyle you want to continue for the future? Or do you still got things you're working on? Yeah, I'm, um, I mean, I'm very happy with what I have now. I mean, the house is like super nice. I don't need anything much nicer than that. I don't need to have anything like, you know, it's weird. Cause like, I'm not a very money, like I'm not a very, I'm not into buying sports cars and things like that. And I feel successful. You know, I mean, I've got, I have things and, and I, I feel very fortunate, but I don't know what else I need or want. I mean, I'm okay with this. And I think that if I could just continue writing and making a decent income. And I'll just be honest, like I said that when I started writing, I told myself if I could just make like, you know, 70,000 a year, I'd be fine with that the rest of my life. And I still feel that way. I mean, I, I, if I could just make a decent income and, you know, I don't need anything more. And as long as I have time and um, I love not having a boss and the flexibility of living my own life. I mean, I don't, I don't have email anymore. I don't get emails. Like I don't, I check my email twice a week and I used to, I used to go into work and I would have like 100 emails every day that I have to get through and figure out which ones are important. And I'd have people stopping by my cubicle every five minutes, bothering me with something. Um, it was just constant drama and tension. And um, God, I, I hate, I hate the corporate life so much, man. I really, if I can stay out of corporate, continue doing the writing thing, I'm good, man. I, that's all I need to do. I, I'm happy with dying at doing this. <laughs> Do you know roughly how many hours you work a week at the moment? Have you got a kind of routine or is it really I don't count. Week? No, I don't count. Because I had to track my time so much in corporate. It reminds me of, I mean, I don't think I work as many hours as I did when I was in corporate. I work every day though. And I, I treat it more like kind of a lifestyle. Like I write every single day. I think about writing all the time. So is that including the weekends, Saturday and Sunday spend? Yeah. Not all day writing, but I, I write every day. I just kind of prefer it that way. I mean, I, and I did that even when I had a job. I would come home and write on Quora. I mean, I think that's kind of a sign that you love what you do. I, it doesn't feel like work, really. Yeah, there's days where I, I'm like, oh, shit. I, have, I don't know what I'm going to write. The article I wrote yesterday was garbage. There's days where I'm writing something and I'm like, I'm 90% done. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this one's a total stinker. This thing is going nowhere. And I mean, I don't know. 
I feel I feel very fortunate, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think that my way of doing it is not necessarily advisable. I think that a healthier way of doing it, where you divide your time and you do it, like I know, I think most writers are kind of more systematic about it. They're not like full corporate. I mean, how do you do yours? Are you Monday through Friday? I try to check my time using something called Clubify, because what I found is that I just end up working random hours. I would be sitting at my computer, but not actually doing anything, and then. I would have time things, so I feel like when I'm against the clock, I say, okay, I'm going to do this in the next hour, and I'm being tired, and then I'm going to go and do something else. So I found that helps me in that way, just because it kind of gives me a bit more structure. Whereas, so I don't know, my amount I'm working each day is really varying. So it'll be like four hours one day, eight hours the next day, six hours the next day, because I'm still in the honeymoon phase, I guess, of me quitting my job. So I'll go to yoga in the middle of the day, I'll go out for drinks with friends and I'll do all this other stuff. I'm kind of making a lot of time for social life at the moment because what I kind of saw is if I quit my job to like be free, then if I'm forcing myself to work all hours of the day, then I just put myself in like another jail. So I've gone from one place to another. I'm trying to have that freedom and it's, I think if ideally I could get to Monday to Friday, just so I can do things at the weekend a bit more where I don't have to be out of the weekend and think, oh wait, when I get home, I need to do that. That's what I kind of want to get to where I can have that peace of mind where when I'm doing something the weekend, I don't need to think, oh, I need to get this done before I go to this brunch or before I go to see these people. I think that's the kind of thing that's most important to me is the having the clarity of mind where I can just not think about this. It can be thinking about writing ideas and thinking about, oh, this could be an article or something like that, but not thinking about like admin tasks I need to do, I guess. Yeah. That's good. I think that's a healthy way of doing it, man. That way you're dividing things up and you're being more efficient. And I use a thing called Habitica. I often have just like a daily, like I have a set of like recurring tasks that I do each day. And so mine is not really time constrained. It's more like goal oriented. Like what am I going to do today? And like, I have like a 100% equivalent, um, which means finish an article today. Like whatever you do, it's got to be done, done. And then I have like other things like, you know, don't check your stats till 6 p.m., you know, meditate, you know, positivity journal and uh, don't eat for like two, three hour mm-hmm. windows because I have a pattern of grazing. And so you punish yourself. If I if I screw up on these, I have to ding myself. I can do a minus button. So I do this a lot to self-regulate. I think that, you know, controlling your behavior and knowing how you best work is very important. I sort of like the flow and I don't time mine because it's kind of like a fuck you to corporate in a way for me. And I like to just kind of do it whenever I feel like doing it. And my girlfriend always comes over on Saturdays too. At like she usually comes over on two. And I find that like that's when I write the best is when I know she's coming over. I have something on my calendar, and so I'll like blast through a bunch of stuff and get it done. Yeah, no, there's there are many ways to do this, and uh, it's you know you don't have to lock yourself in for life in one way of doing it. So maybe I'll try your way sometime. It's interesting you say about stats because I think the stats is something which people in all different kinds of industries can get obsessed with quite easily. And like you've got your, you don't check your stats until 6 p.m. But for me, I didn't check my stats until the end of the month. That's the way I do it. Oh, I kind of got built in because, especially when I first started writing, I'd be checking my stats every hour. I'd be waiting for it to refresh each hour. And then this just isn't healthy. I can't do this. And then it kind of became a point of pride, like, myself discipline, like, can I wait until the end of the month? And then I keep telling people that I do it. Kind of gives me that, is a sense of satisfaction that I've been able to control myself in that way. Because I guess what you realize as well is that when you look at stats that often, 
it's so many things that have got nothing to do with your actual content. So same for Instagram, you might post two photos. One gets a thousand likes, one gets a hundred likes. And it's like, you don't necessarily need to read into that. It's not like one was that much better than the other. It just could have been that day there was football on, that day it was raining or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think sometimes it can really stress people out when so much of it isn't in their control. Dude, social media is like so insidious, man. Like those likes and stuff, checking that. Like it's the it's really kind of like sick if you think a lot about it. Like those data scientists, they're just trying to like get inside your head and like really juke your dopamine receptors. And like, I mean, it really is not healthy to even ever check your Facebook likes. I mean, I think with the stats, your end of month thing, I think that's good. But for me, I I find that like I need to see them because when I see them going down, it gets me motivated. I'm like, oh shit, I gotta write, I gotta write. So. I think there's definitely like a healthy balance. And I think if that works for you, I think you should just stick with it though. I mean, I'm not always good about the stats thing. I check them a lot and um, I need to get better about that. And that's just because I'm like, an, I, I was a financial analyst for so long. I'm like obsessed with numbers and, and analytics and I got to stop doing that though. Cause it's a nothing habit. It doesn't change anything. Like you, if that time was spent writing, you know, I'd probably have more money. But along those lines, so what's one mindset shift you think listeners can make? To make a positive difference to their lives. Well, I think that there's like some of the things we talked about, the main stuff, like getting your getting your lifestyle down correct, because I see a lot of people that are they're they're like staying up till two AM playing on their phone, you know, they're they're not they're eating fast foods, especially here in the United States, like the diet people adopt and you know, they go to lunch and they have this giant hamburger and french fries. And then they, they're like, they're like drowsy at their desk for the next three hours. I'm like, well, what did you expect, man? Like, come on. Like what? So avoid, uh, yeah, avoid the deal breaker habits, man. It's like to stay vigilant and, and really attack like what you're doing and be open to like being bad at things too. I think that the, the trick that I had was like I with writing on Quora is like, I wasn't like a good writer when I started. I was actually pretty awful, man. I was, I was. I, some of my, the first year our answers I did are just God awful. I mean, it's like the thing about writing too, is you think about like bad memories and like things that kind of make you wince, like with writing, they're like in print. Those are bad memories that everyone can still see. And it's out there. And it's sort of like those highlight reels. If you're a fighter and you get knocked out really bad, like now you're on someone else's highlight reel forever. And, um, and that's okay though. Like you've got to just embrace that. And like, I've been so shitty at so many things, man. Like I've been, I was I tried to play guitar and I was terrible at that. I tried drums. I took art classes and I was like the worst student in the art class. Like, but I think that even if you're bad at things and, and, it, and you try super hard at them, it still gives you something like subconsciously, like a skill and a thing that you can like st- um, stay with. And I don't think the goal, I think the goal doesn't always have to be, to be exceptional at things that you do. I think it's just good to pursue getting better at things and see what happens. And I only stayed with writing because I kind of enjoyed it. Like I was willing to, like I enjoyed, I came back and it, it almost made no sense. I was like writing on the internet for no money. Why am I doing this every night? Like, why am I? And people would ask me that. And I was like, I don't know. I just enjoy doing it. I like writing. And um, I think that if you find a hobby like that, like where you're willing to be bad and continue doing it and enjoying it, and doing it consistently, there will come a day where like you're suddenly a lot better at it. And people are like, oh, you're pretty good at this. So I don't know, just explore and try things. I mean, and don't be too hard on yourself, man. Like people are, you're going to be shitty at it when you first start. Like 
there's so many examples of this happening to me as well. So, for example, with dancing, where a lot of people are scared to go to a dance class because they don't want to be bad. Mm-hmm. And in the recording, because the whole point of going to a class is to get better. You don't yeah. need to be good to go there. The same with like, yoga or going to the gym. You don't yeah. need to be fit to go to the gym. The whole point of going to the gym is to get fit. And just that shift in the mindset of, like, you're not going there to show off. No. You're going there to get better. Yeah, it's like... And the other thing, too, is that, like, here's the everything that kills people. It's like they go to a class with a bunch of other beginners. They start, let's say we're drawing, and you're drawing, and each week this other person is progressing faster than you. You see them, like, their picture's getting better and better and better. And yours are still kind of like... So linear, progression is not linear. Like, people hit ceilings and bottlenecks, and, like, it's very possible that you come in one day, and suddenly your stuff, like, comes to life. It gets way, way better. And um, that happened with writing for me. And like I had, I wrote a hundred thousand horrible words before anything was kind of kind of decent. And like, you just have to have this like stubbornness to like keep going and like, and not care if it's bad, just, just keep doing your terrible pictures and go and go and go and dancing. I'm sure it's the same thing. I'm sure one day eventually something clicks in your brain, some like neural pathway, like links. And you're like, Oh, this is how you twirl around. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, the payoff is super sweet too. When like you, you struggle for so long too. I think the other thing as well is that a lot of people don't even notice how bad you think you are. So yeah. you might get some trolls, you might get some people who like, oh, you're rubbish, but maybe people won't say that. Like they just won't really pay attention. They're too busy focusing on themselves. Like, yeah. If you go to any class, let's say you're a writer, right? Or if you're a artist or whatever it is, the people who are higher up, they're going to be focusing on themselves because they want to get better. They're not really focusing on like, oh, how bad is that person in the back corner of the room, are they? Like, they've got other things to do at the time. So you don't need to like, put this pressure on yourself that other people are judging you because they probably don't care. No, they don't care. There was some quote or some comment I read that mm-hmm. everyone goes through life thinking they're the star of a movie about themselves. Mm-hmm. And like, everyone is so in their own world. Like, the guy next, like, the, the guy next to you that's doing the better art, he's probably sitting there thinking his painting is horrible. So like, I mean, in most of the memories that we cringe about, like no one even remembers it. Like they're, they're too busy replaying their own low lights in their head. And yeah, I mean, I agree a thousand percent on that. So I think this, this experiment that somebody did as well, because people get worried about what to wear to work and two women wore the same clothes for a year to work. So it's like, it was, they washed it obviously and it was like different sets of the same and nobody noticed and people complimenting them like every week like oh nice dress and because you think people are paying attention to they're just not they just don't notice no not at all they're just totally i mean so yeah i mean there's a good lesson in that and that i mean i think that just going easy on yourself about being bad at things and um you know everything for me comes back to to writing too and, and just making sure that like if you're really serious about getting good at something too, make sure you're getting you're getting feedback from someone who's credible and whose skills you respect. And you've got to get some sort of loop going where you're on the right track and you're not just spinning your wheels and going nowhere because that can happen too. So, so it's been a pleasure to talk to you, Sean. Where yeah. can the listeners hear more from you? Yeah, um, I mean, just look at my stuff on Medium, and um, I don't really, I don't sell a lot of things really. I'm just kind of a writer. And I fly under the radar, and I write for clients.
And um, yeah, just come say what's up on Medium for now. That'll be fine. And then the final thing to wrap up on, what's one small thing that's brought you joy recently? Yeah, um, waking up for the first time in my new house and seeing like the nice ceiling and um, just, yeah, feeling like the payoff from all the hard work and having the house and um, definitely that. that. That's These little things like that are, are will make it all count, so. Yeah, did you just have that moment where you're looking up and thinking, kind of soaking in the moment, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Because, um, you know, just working for so long and then finally, like, you know, using everything you've done to to better your life and being able to just, like, immerse yourself in it. You're surrounded by your trophy, basically. You've you've worked hard for so long and saved and lived in squalor and... Uh, yeah, it's it's a good feeling that's I hope doesn't go away because I still get it a lot, and um, I hope this house doesn't burn down from a strike of lightning or something. And uh, yeah, and um, no man, life is good, and it's all about the little things. I know it's cliche, but it's true. So. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I'd love it if you could leave me a five star review. It really helps to get the message out further. Wherever you're listening. It would be awesome if you could subscribe and to share on your social media channels. If you want to see more of my work and advice, you can find all of the links in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and I hope you have a lovely day.